So Philippians chapter 3, starting at verse 1. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so, somehow, attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenwards in Christ Jesus. Thank you. Well, let's pray as we focus on those words and uh, I suppose it's praying really that we'd be able to say amen to it, that we'd be able to agree with Paul in what he says here. Let's pray. Father God, we, we thank you very much for these words, these great truths, and we ask, Lord, that you would help us to believe them. Help us to put our hope where it ought to be. Help us to boast in what we ought to boast in. Help us to rejoice as we ought to. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't know about you, I don't know how you find it, but joy, for me, is often uh, an easily startled thing. You know, you get some sort of creatures who can, you can approach them and they, they just sort of stay put, and it's great. And you get others that the moment you go anywhere near them, they run off, those sorts of animals. Uh, well, I, I find uh, when it comes to rejoicing and joy and things like that, it, it's often something that you might want, that everybody is trying to hunt trying to creep up on and get and catch, but it runs off. Occasionally, when you're not expecting it, it might land on you, and it's wonderful, you better not move, because it might go, but it quickly flies away. Often that's how we can think about joy and rejoicing. It's something, you can't help it, you can't force it, it just either is or it isn't, and maybe I'm just one of those people who it isn't. 
And yet, we're commanded to have it. We're commanded to do it. That's something that's right there uh, in the passage that we just read in verse 1. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. That is something we're told to do. We need to rejoice. Again, later on, chapter 4, verse 4, Philippians. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. He's already saying it again, and he says, I'll say it again again. Rejoice. Now, whatever that joy is, Christians are meant to have it. We're meant to do it. How on earth are we supposed to do that? I'd argue uh, whether we're aware of it, whether we're aware of feeling joyful or not, everybody rejoices in something, don't they? All the time we're rejoicing in something. We're either we're pointing to something and saying, that is where my joy comes from. It might be that we're very happy and therefore we're saying this thing, that situation, that person is so wonderful. I'm just so rejoicing that I have it or them or, or, or whatever it is. Isn't it great? I feel so joyful because the thing that gives me joy is right here. Or it might be when we're very sad. We're saying, well, this thing, this person, this situation, that is what would give me joy. If only I had it. But I don't. And so it's awful. That's still a kind of rejoicing because it's saying that's where my joy would be. And so where there's a big gaping hole, there's my joy. What we rejoice in is what we want, what we celebrate what we talk about, what we boast in, what we uh, big up in the way we discuss it. It's the things that people can tell that we like by the way we talk. Everybody rejoices in something, and Christians are just being told what to rejoice in or who to rejoice in. Christians are told here to rejoice in the Lord. It's saying that as Christians, we believe Jesus is the one who brings us satisfaction and wholeness and peace and happiness and so we rejoice in him if we're struggling for joy and everybody does from time to time at least let's allow this passage to point out where real joy is found in jesus in jesus alone some of the things we're going to be talking about don't seem necessarily like we're talking about joy but we are, and perhaps the fact that we don't necessarily connect these things with joy is half the reason we don't feel any. But uh, let's get stuck in anyway. We, we're introduced here to the idea that people might rejoice in themselves, might rejoice in what they can do, in their achievements, their, their abilities, their skills, their inner goodness, and that is not the way. So Paul refers to those people in verse 2 and tells us to watch out for them. There's some quite creative insults here. Watch out for those dogs those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. He's talking about people who want Christians to get circumcised as if that is going to make them real Christians. Do these outward things, follow these rules. That is where real joy is found. That is where it is all at. You can take confidence in yourself. If you've done the things and you've ticked the boxes, you can take real joy in that. And Paul says, actually, these people who are doing this thing, circumcision, surely that's a very holy thing. No, they're, they're mutilators of the flesh. They're, they're, that's all they're doing. This is not the way for joy. This is not the way to God. The right way, in verse 3, instead, is to boast in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. To 
put all of our focus on Jesus, to have him as the one we're focused on, not on ourselves. No confidence in the flesh. So is, is that what you would say of yourself? It's saying, I don't trust myself. I don't rely on myself. I'm shaky at best. I'm very patchy at times in my performance. Even if I did everything right, I know I'd only get proud. So I put no trust in myself, all of my trust in Jesus. No confidence in the flesh. It might be that somebody looks and says, okay, well, Nathan, I can understand why you don't put any trust in yourself. I wouldn't trust me if I were you. But surely some people... Surely some people could put a bit of confidence in themselves. Surely some people are good enough, godly enough, consistent enough. Well, Paul says in verse 4, well, take me for example. I myself have reason for confidence. He's an impressive person. He says, if someone thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. So, for example, he'd done all the right ceremonies. He'd been circumcised. He was from the right family. People of Israel, tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of Hebrews, he was absolute spiritual elite. What about rule keeping? Well, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, absolutely scrupulous, impeccable. Maybe he did all it in a very half-hearted way. No, as for zeal, persecuting the church. He was passionate, so passionate about what he thought was right that he was stamping out the church. He was dedicating every waking second to crushing the church into the dust. That is zealous, isn't it? He was so zealous. And so the bottom line, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. So if there's any of us who might be able to say, oh, I could put a bit of confidence in the flesh, it would have been him. And yet Paul says that actually when I came to faith in Jesus, I saw that that was all worthless. It was Nothing. It was less than nothing. Didn't save him. In fact, it, it drew him away from Jesus. And so it had to go. It's in verse 7. Whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. I now see all of that stuff as a negative, not a positive. I now see it as something that held me back from embracing Jesus. I see all that stuff as a killjoy, as a thing that was drawing me away from where true hope and joy is to be found in Jesus. It was drawing me away from where God is actually found. Can we see how much Jesus means to him, how precious Jesus is to him? He just used to delight in himself and his own godliness, and now he rejoices in Jesus. Can we say that? He goes on from verse 8. What is more, I consider everything a loss. Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. He's very honest, isn't he? Knowing Jesus has cost him everything. And he says, it's absolutely worth it. I would do that deal again in a heartbeat. That's rejoicing in Jesus, isn't it? To be able to say, I had it all. I had to give it away to, get to put my trust in him. And that was brilliant. What a great deal. Because of his surpassing worth. Everything on the one hand, Jesus on the other, I'll take Jesus, please. Everything that he lost, his security, his home, his job, his life, his comfort, uh, his reputation, his greatness, is all good riddance as far as he's concerned. He says, I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. That's a really strong word to say garbage, rubbish. 
I consider it trash, filth. The stuff you find in the sewer or the toilet, really, is what he's saying here. I consider all of that, all my best stuff, is that compared to knowing Jesus. Gaining Christ is worth losing everything. Worth losing that pride, worth losing our boasting, our confidence in ourselves. Because while we're rejoicing in us, we can't rejoice in him. We need to let go of our own trust in ourselves to trust in him. Let me start partway through verse 8 and we see that. He says, I consider those things, I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I can rejoice because I don't have my own righteousness. I've been given one by faith. He is the only place, the only person where righteousness comes from. It comes from rejoicing in him, not in ourselves. One of my favorite parables uh, hits exactly this note when Jesus talks about the kingdom of God being like a man who finds treasure in a field. And so he sells everything that he has to buy that field. And everybody looks on and goes, what a waste of money. What a ridiculous waste of money. And he says, oh, but you don't know. You don't know what's in that field. You don't know the treasure I've got in that field. And that is what it's like for us as Christians. People might think that we're absolutely bonkers for losing so much or being willing to lose so much or sacrificing or saying no to sin or all those things. And we can say, well, no, you don't know the treasure we've got. You don't understand. We've got Jesus. He's so much more worthwhile than those things. Can we say with Paul, I want to know Christ. He does know Christ. He still wants to know him more. Wants to share with him. Even though that means sharing his suffering. I want to know Christ. That is so much the key to joy, isn't it? If joy is just a feeling, then yes, it is a very easily startled thing. It's very flighty. It's going to scarper as soon as you look at it. If joy is found in stuff, we're not going to have enough of it. If joy is found in ourselves, it's going to be up and down and up and down and mostly down. It's going to come and go, mostly go. But if joy is found in Jesus, then that can last. It can remain through trials. Often I think to myself, if I'm not experiencing the joy that Paul is talking about, could that be partly because I'm not valuing what he valued? I don't think Jesus is that great. And so I've got Jesus. Well, that's not that great, is it? Now, following Jesus can be really, really difficult. But we're being called here to see what we have in him. We've been given righteousness. We've been given life. We've been given himself. So let's press in to know him better. Joy is hard to find sometimes. It is hard fought but it is to be found in the Lord Jesus. We're going to have a moment now to uh, reflect on, on that. Maybe have a little scan over those words again. Perhaps verse 7 to 9, that sort of thing. Have a little look at that and, and focus on that. And just, just pray, I suppose, that that would be what you're able to say, what I'm able to say. So let's just have a moment of quiet to do that.
Heavenly Father, please would you help us to rejoice in the Lord. Help us to rejoice in Christ, in all that he's done for us, in all that he is doing for us. Help us to value Jesus rightly, to help us to see that if he is all we have, that is enough. We thank you so much that that is possible. We thank you that that is true. In Jesus' name, amen.